and welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. My name is Emma Carpenter, and this is my segment where we talk all things college golf. I am coming to you today from Olympic Hills Golf Club in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and it is green outside right now. It is a beautiful sunny day. Um, believe it or not, it, we're supposed to get a day up to 70 degrees this weekend in Minnesota, so that is very exciting. But I am extremely excited about today's episode is I am for the first time ever having a collegiate coach joining me today. All college coaches do things a little bit differently, but there is definitely something special about Cowboys Oklahoma State head coach Alan Bratton that makes his team so successful year after year and allowing him to be able to lead a team to being in contention for a national championship each year, as well as having guys such as Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, Ricky Fowler coming out of this program. So I am very excited to sit down with Coach Bratton today and hear about what has helped his team and his coaching become be so successful. So thank you for joining me today. And I know that you are going to enjoy the listen. And with that, I welcome in Coach Alan Bratton. Coach, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to come on. I'm excited to uh, get to talk with you. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. You are my very first college coach here on my segment, and I am just so excited to touch on your career as a coach for the Cowboys, as a player. I know that we've got a lot to talk about. So so far, you have already hit what a lot of people are calling the national championship trifecta. You've done it as a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach, all for the OSU Cowboys. What's it like to be able to say you've got that kind of accolade? Well, it's really humbling to be leading our program here at Oklahoma State. I've been a product of that since Coach Holder first recruited me in 1989. So I've been blessed to be a part of the program for a long time. This is the only place I played, the only place that I've coached. And um, yeah, I'm very proud of those accomplishments. It, it was great to uh, my last college tournament. I, we went out as national champions. I was a part of a championship team the year that I redshirted my very first year in school. And then uh, getting to learn from the leadership of Mike Holder and then winning a championship as Mike McGraw's assistant. And then uh, us winning in 2018 as a head coach. So proud of those accomplishments. And again, uh, humbled that someone would recognize that. But I just feel blessed. OSU golf's been wonderful to me and really proud to be the leader of the program. Absolutely. I'm sure I'm sure you've got so much passion when it comes to the Stillwater and, and Oklahoma State. So as your role as a coach here, similar to all the other years, You've got another very talented team this year. Something that I want to talk about is one of the highlights of the spring. I was playing in a practice round uh, at UCF's home tournament, and I remember watching on golf set. I like to just kind of keep up with all the other tournaments going on. I remember watching what happened in the final round and unbelievably impressive for the listeners who don't know. 
OSU was down 10 shots going into the final round and fired a 24 under par in the final round to win by one team win by one with Eugenia Lopez Shakara at a 62 10 under par course record the final day birdie eagle finish I just watching this live I actually couldn't believe that what what were you telling the team before that final round what was that conversation well you know we talked about how 10 shots is very doable in college golf we were playing well we just hadn't quite gotten the scores in like we wanted the golf course it was fairly easy. And, uh, you know, I actually wondered if we could do it. 10 shots on a lot of golf courses or isn't that big of a challenge, or if you maybe get some weather conditions where you can separate from the field. The golf course we were playing, it was difficult to separate from the field because, again, it wasn't overly difficult. So um, everyone was going to shoot a pretty good score, it looked like. But our guys, especially Eugenio, was talking about how they were going to get that done. And so I encouraged that. I didn't know if I really believed we were going to do that. Uh, but sure enough, they got going. Uh, Jonas Bumgartner shot a low round. We had everybody kind of firing on all cylinders. And, you know, Eugenio blitzed, thing, blitzed things at the end. I was helping our guys play the 18th hole because it was one of the best par fours on the course. And that was a place you could maybe make a difference as a coach giving advice. And then I picked him up and actually walked with him then on 18, uh, one, two, and three. So I got to see him close that out for his first college win, um, shooting 62, the final round. He knew he needed to, uh, two putt to win the last hole or on the last hole. He had an Eagle putt. He needed, he knew he needed to two putt to win the individual, but he didn't realize that Eagle was going to win the tournament for our team. He hit a beautiful putt and a spectacular finish. He hit a two iron from like 270 on the last hole over water on the green and uh, closed it out that way. And it's interesting. You mentioned that tournament at UCF. I'm mm -hmm. fairly positive his sister, that was the same yeah. tournament she was playing. And I believe she, they shot the same total, maybe 19 under uh, both of them to win the same week. So great symmetry there. They're very close. And uh, that was a really cool week. And he was following his sister's progress the whole way. So that was cool to see as well. That's so fun. Yeah. You mentioned, so you walked those final few holes with him. He finished six under par through his last six holes. What, what kind of insight were you offering as you were walking down those, uh, those last few holes and he was able to close out the individual win by one and the team win by two. Yeah. I was just keeping him focused on, he, he's had a bad habit of checking scores and, and uh, not staying in the present. So we had made him keep his phone in the car that day so that he wouldn't do that. And I was just trying to do a good job of keeping him uh, centered on the, the task at hand, just, just hitting shots. He knew he had a chance to win. And, you know, I gave him the scores maybe on the last couple of holes to let him know where, where he stood and how we were doing. But, but it was very late kind of in that process. So just trying to keep him focused on the present. He's struggled with that a bit in the past. He's had a chance to win tournaments before um, and just hasn't gotten it done. I mean, it wasn't any kind of, uh, struggles at the end or anything like that with him, but he desperately wanted to win a tournament. And it was cool to be standing by his side while he did that. And we found out later, I believe that was a, we tied a uh, single day record for Oklahoma state. That was the lowest that we had shot. So a lot of pride in the group. And it's nice to know as you, as you kind of push forward and talk about how you can come be from behind and do those things to have a group of guys that'll actually believe it and know that they've believed that before and then uh, actually executed.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Very, very impressive. And, and I'm sure for Eugenio more to come as well. Once you get that first college win under your belt, it seems like the other ones just keep coming as well. And you are right at UCF. It was absolutely crazy how it was the same week. Um, brother and sister shoot us 10 under 62 in the final round to win the tournament with 19 under par. You're right. That symmetry was just unbelievable. Really cool. <laughs> really, uh, really talented, impressive uh, brother and sister there. But so it's funny how you mention um, you mention uh, this event and, and the way it was playing, because I know that many other former Cowboys have won, have been the medalist at this event, Matt Wolf being one of them and another one being you. Is that right? Yeah, that was my first college win. I, I uh, and it was kind of funny. The, the, the guy that runs the tournament, uh, it's the same guy that was doing it when, when I played, he mentioned that in the, in the award ceremony. And I had to mention that I won the tournament at, uh, I think it was a different golf course, but I think I shot four over par to win and uh, one by two over some future PGA tour players. And uh, Eugenio was winning at 19 under, or, or uh, I think that's what he shot. Um, so, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, I redshirted as a freshman and then, um, I won that tournament for, for my first win. So that was kind of nice to share with, with Eugenio as well. Absolutely. Speaking of Eugenio, some pretty big news came out that a lot of people were saying kind of shocked the golf world. Eugenio just announced that he is going to be returning to Oklahoma state for his fifth year, which a lot of people found surprising as right now he's currently fifth in PGA tour university. And for the listeners who may not know PGA tour U is is pretty new, but being in the top five, finishing in the top five gets you uh, corn ferry, corn ferry tour exemptions, as well as exemption into the, the final stage of Q school there as well. So, I mean, coach, what kind of, what kind of culture are you creating there uh, in Stillwater that is making players forego the possible opportunity to, to be that much, to be that far ahead of his, uh, competitors turning professional and choosing to return back for another year with you and the team. Yeah, that was awesome that he decided to do that. We've been talking about it all year and he's been saying that all along. He's actually third on PGA Tour U. Um, but uh, he recognized, I mean, the kid's got a chance to be really, really good. And, um, you know, professional golf's not going anywhere. Um, I didn't know exactly what he would decide to do. His skill set's very, very good. Um, but it's hard to over-prepare for the PJ Tour. And we have a lot of experience in, in helping mentor our guys as they transition from college to professional golf. And he's also fortunate that he's very close with Sergio Garcia. And Sergio kind of gave him the same advice of, it's not going anywhere. And that's a guy that turned pro when he was 18 years old and has been one of the best players in the world for forever. Uh, but he recognizes that there's, you know, more to life than just golf. And there's certainly more to professional golf than just what's inside the ropes. The more mature you can be, um, the more prepared you can be just with life experiences. And that's why you go to college is for an education. And the education is, is much more than just in the classroom and just books. And people have a tendency to, uh, we live in such an instant world. Uh, everybody wants instant gratification. They think there's shortcuts to things and they want to run away from uh, today so quickly to maybe advance to the next level. There's real value in coming back next year. Uh, he already kind of did that this year after being a first team All-American last year with 
you know, a target on his back. He should go into next year as, if not the premier player, one of. And uh, to gather, gain that experience in a little bit safer environment before you're doing it for a living, um, with everyone gunning for you, learning what that's like, uh, you know, when maybe you might win a tournament and it's no big deal to people. Uh, learning, to, that's hard a lot of times. Or if you struggle a little bit, people asking you what's wrong. Those are all things that you have to deal with if you can become one of the best players in the world. And I got to watch that with Phil Mickelson. When I was a freshman, Phil was a senior and he had already won on the PGA Tour and chose to come back. So this kind of a decision isn't unprecedented. Scott Verplank did the same thing you know, 10 years prior to Phil Mickelson or close to, he won on the PJ tour while he was at Oklahoma state came back for his senior year. And that served those guys. Well, John Rahm was a player of the year. People, you know, thought he should turn pro. He came back. It's paid off for him. Colin Morikawa. There's any number of guys. So uh, fortunately uh, Eugenio got some good um, mentorship, I think from his parents and from Sergio, Hopefully we helped in that. And he's confident that it's just going to help him prepare better. Um, now he's going to have an opportunity to play some PGA tour events between now and then. And I've encouraged him, you know, if, if you're ready, go ahead and win, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. They don't let you take strokes off just because you call yourself a professional. So just get good and prepare in every way you can. And that's what he believes he's going to do. And hopefully we can help him do over the next year so that his transition to professional golf is as smooth as possible. That's wonderful. That It's very interesting to hear you talk about that because a lot of guys do take the professional route very differently. And, you know, by, by the sounds of what you're saying, those years, honestly, no matter how many it may be, Matt Wolf did two years, Victor Hovland did three, um, you know, Eugenio's doing five, all, all these guys that you're mentioning, um, they're doing it differently, but each year still um, provides a, a lot of preparation and a, and a lot of insight and a lot of a lot of knowledge and learning. So that's definitely great and, and interesting to hear you talk about that. So you also chased the professional golf route a bit yourself. Um, I know Lindy Miller, Willie Wood, Bob Tway were, were some idols of yours while you were playing at Oklahoma State. You did. Uh, you chased a year on the on the Corn Ferry web.com, now the Corn Ferry, as well as a year on the PGA Tour. At what point in your life did you realize that that coaching would really be a good fit for you and uh, where you feel fulfilled? Well, I have to look uh, and thank my college coach. I had a wonderful experience here. I had a, a guy that was an example of excellence in front of me every single day in my colder. Anything he did, he did well. Great job of inspiring us, and I would have never become the player that I did uh, without his his help and all my teammates on the team. So I always felt like coaching was something I would enjoy. I felt like I was good at helping the guys uh, on my team uh, as a leader of our team. Uh, over, uh, I was I became our best player my redshirt freshman year, and uh, so felt like a leader and helped the guys on our team. Uh, developed. So I thought I would always enjoy that. I didn't really think I was going to do it. I was going to play the PJ tour forever. Uh, that was my goal. And, and, and that was my, my expectation. I ended up playing pro golf for six years. Didn't have the career that I wanted. Uh, I tell our guys, I don't tell people that I was a, a PGA tour player. I played the PGA tour. I'm proud of that, but that's not something you want to do. 
I wanted to have a career on the tour. And to me, that's what I call a PGA tour player, but I learned a lot. Um, after I quit playing, I got to work for ping in their tour department. So got to observe, uh, all the professional tours in a little bit different capacity and learned a lot from watching those guys. And, and like I say, you want to get out there to stay. And if you're good enough, they can't keep you out. So that's another way, again, if, if I'm talking to our players about this decision, you know, every uh, a turning pro or what you're going to do, just get good. It's the same with junior golfers. Just focus on continuing to get good because if you're good enough, doesn't matter where you play, what school, who you are, you know, race, you know, ethnicity, none of that matters how good you are. It's a very cold sport. If you're good enough, they can't keep you out. And it's, it makes it better in my mind than a lot of the professional sports where someone else has to deem you good enough or draft you and say, they kind of have to give you permission. If you're good enough in golf, you make it. So there's no rush. Every situation is a little bit different. Uh, I wanted to have a long career, but, but in that, as, as I recognized, we were starting a family. I didn't like where I was finishing. I finished 200th on the PGA tour money list. And then the following year, 70th on the, the corn Ferry tour, which now would keep your card at that time. It did not. Uh, I didn't want to just be a middle of the road guy. I knew I, or I felt like I could keep making a living playing, but I thought there was something I would enjoy more. And coaching was ultimately what I wanted to do. I applied for a job where I grew up. I grew up in college station, Texas A&M was hiring a coach and they basically told me I wasn't qualified to be a coach. And, um, so kind of in that process, I got offered a job at ping and that was a wonderful blessing working for the Solheims. I learned a ton and I think that's helped me as I ultimately did be become a coach at Oklahoma state. Wow. I mean, so I know that one of the reasons why you decided to play for Oklahoma state in the first place is just because of its long history of success. I would say OSU is among a handful of schools that can really be considered a, a golf school. Uh, did that, I want to know, did that feel like pressure, you know, to continue to lead the team down this path and, and achieve the success that so many people expect to see? Well, I, I wanted to go play for the best and I just wanted to get good. I was smart enough to recognize the best way to get good is to go hang out with really good players. And I tell people that all the time. I mean, uh, Oklahoma State golf isn't good because I'm the coach here, um, but I'm a product of the program. We've got a long history of success. I think we've had a program 73-ish years, and we've finished in the top five 55 times. Um, so this place breeds success, and I was certainly a part of that. And, and I, Coach Holder had talked to me about redshirting, and uh, basically I wasn't good enough to make the starting lineup consistently as a freshman, and that's my favorite year of school was that year. I learned from All-Americans. We had Bob May on the team and Kevin Wentworth. You mentioned Lenny Miller and Bob Tway. I got to hang out with those guys, and uh, that really helped me improve. I learned what excellence was about from those guys and from my coach, and that set the foundation for what I was able to do going forward. So I try to share those same messages um, with our current guys, keep them connected with those same um, past players. Our former players do a wonderful job of of uh, continuing to get to know our guys and mentoring them and, and uh, giving them advice on how to succeed while they're in school and beyond. So uh, we just work hard to, to continue that. And, and it, like I say, for me as a player and a coach, 
uh, I continue to learn every day from all the pieces of our program that that have a great reach around the world. I know you mentioned that leadership was was a big piece of of what you learned during your time as a player um, at Oklahoma State and ultimately played a role in deciding that you wanted to coach. Is that is is really a topic of of leadership, something that you like to instill in your athletes? Yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm, uh, I always feel like I fall short of the example that, um, my coach set for me. Uh, I think he's a much better coach than me. I'm fortunate. I was smart enough to hire a guy better than me as well to help me coach in Donnie Dar. And I think between the two of us, we have a, a wonderful collection of experiences and, um, ways to communicate with our players to, to hopefully reach them. And, and, uh, absolutely. That's, that's what you're trying to do is lead them. Uh, to success in whatever they choose to do down the road. And hopefully they leave here and, and feel like they had an example uh, of what, how they should handle themselves and aspire to be as they go forward. Absolutely. So, so switching gears on you a little bit here, we're talking about your role as a coach and you say that I think without a doubt, you absolutely play uh, a, you are a big piece of the success that, uh, that OSU has found over the last several years, decade. Um, when you are recruiting, what is besides, you know, um, you've got all the best recruits in the world wanting to come play for you. Besides golf scores and proving that they have the ability to win, what else are you looking for in a recruit? Well, it's, it's hard to describe. I, um, you know, but Donnie and I have been fortunate to be around um, really good players for a long time. So I'm just looking for similar similar characteristics um, in people that have been successful here before. Um, you know, obviously speed is important, uh, results are important, but you're trying to project the future and trying to know what someone's got in their heart, how badly they they want to be good. Um, it is hard and you need to communicate quite a bit with kids to, to figure that out. So um, not a great answer to the question because I wish I could really pinpoint exactly what that is, but hopefully we know it when we see it. And, and that's why we've been good over the years. We've, we've done a good job of kind of cutting through all the different players out there and finding kids that are the right fit. Um, they may not be the best player coming out of high school. Obviously you'd like them to, to be as good as they can be. And, but, but you're trying to project someone that can improve because you're trying to forecast who can be good in two, three, four, eight years uh, down the road and, and who uh, the message that we send is going to mesh with that ultimately pushes them down the learning curve faster than someone else. Right. No, I think that's a great answer because it's another way of saying you can't coach desire and heart, you know, um, that's, 100% important that you can have talent, but you need hard work and you need desire. So with that being said, there are a lot of great players out there who may have that heart and desire, but is there anything that when you're recruiting that might turn you off of a player? I like to listen to how they talk to their parents, how they interact with their parents. That's a big, a big key. Um, you know, we all end up whether we like it or not, uh, generally most people end up, uh, you're a product of, of where you came from and we end up like our parents a lot. So we, we, we recruit the whole family. Um, you know, certain 
behaviors on the golf course, you know, aren't that appealing, but you might be able to train some of that out of kids, you know, uh, kids are young and, and they're still forming who, who they are. Um, I am not a big fan when someone's golf swing looks like it's been overtaught. I like very natural golf swings. Um, so that's something that scares me because I feel like if they're too tied to instruction or someone else, you have to own your own game. You're the only person that's out there all the time. So I like natural golf swings that repeat. Doesn't matter if they maybe look a little bit different. Um, if someone owns that, knows how to make adjustments on the golf course, that's something that's really appealing to me. Uh, I like someone that plays the game creatively and has good hands. So I'm, I'm trying to look for, for those kind of things because I feel like um, when you have someone that looks like someone taught them to do what, what they're doing and doesn't look natural or like they own it, I feel like that's they're in jeopardy of that really breaking down or they're going to search for something else while, while they're there. So uh, I usually kind of shy away from those kind of, you know, what I, if I see that in a technique or something like that. Yeah. A lot of different personalities in the, in the golf world and uh, in all levels, amateur professional golf. So it is, it's funny to hear you mention that, um, that reactions on the golf course, you know, maybe some hotheads, you can, you can, <laughs> you can coach that out of somebody. It's funny. I know I've, I mentioned so that I played uh, on the, I played on the boys team in high school and coach, I played with some hotheads. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's funny the way that, um, not, not saying that girls can't be the same way because everybody can be guilty of it a little bit. Everybody wants to play well, but one of the best ones that I've had actually of someone losing their mind on the golf course was a girl. I coached our women's team for two oh. years and I was recruiting at the U S junior and uh, it was quite entertaining for me. And I actually watched it for, Oh, another four or five holes um, because it was so entertaining. She punched the water cooler cover, bent it. And then I got to watch the parents freak out and then tell her not to freak out. It, it was it's one of the most entertaining days I've had as a coach and it was at the U S junior girls. So, um, you know, I, recruiting is hard. Anyone that says that it's easy has never done it. And, uh, you know, you've got to find your moments of, of entertainment. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that was a classic one that I won't share names or anything like that on here, but, uh, that was a, a wonderful day in coaching to see that entertainment. <laughs> Punch the punch the cooler. Yeah, it was you know that some coolers have a little metal cover over them, and she whacked it hard enough that put a big dent in it. And and uh, oh my then she God. asked. I was sitting on the bench next to her, and she's like, "Do you mind if I sit down?" And I, you know, I got out of her way. I didn't know if she was going to come after me next or what. But <laughs> it, it, was, it was fantastic entertainment. <laughs> you didn't want to be the next uh, the next victim. I so <laughs> can I ask? No, not definitely not asking to share names. Can I ask if you ended up recruiting her? I did not. I was walking it. She was already committed somewhere, but I also enjoyed walking with her future coach. Um, and a couple holes later, she had already lost her mind a couple. She had a, a very short putt for a birdie. And I leaned over to the coach and I said, oh, gosh, I kind of hope she misses this, because if she does, she's going to freak out. 
<laughs> sure enough, sure enough, she missed it. She whacked the putter on her foot and bent the putter. Um, and I got to watch the, the mom, the, the caddy gave the putter to her mom to say she can't use this anymore. You know, if you bend it not in normal play, you can't use it. And, and I got to watch the mom try to say, oh, I think it was like that when she started. So even though there were, I don't know, 10 of us there that had just seen her bend it. So like I say, it was a very, very entertaining day. And you never know what you're going to see out there, out there recruiting and, and, and what you might learn. That, that is hilarious. <laughs> I kind of hope she misses this because she's going to freak out. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. You never know. You never know what you're going to get with people. Sometimes a lot of different personalities. I want to um, rewind a little bit. You mentioned uh, that you don't want guys who, you know, may have seemed like they were overcoached. And one of the really interesting things about college golf is that once you go to school, maybe move away, quite a ways away from your family, you're not with a swing coach anymore. You're doing a whole new, um, living a new lifestyle and in a new practice schedule in a new place. So I want to know, um, you've got incredibly, excuse me, incredibly talented recruits coming in all these guys have already got game, real game. And what is kind of the approach for you when all these guys do play it differently, play it their own way? Do you ever feel skeptical um, helping out some of these guys and out of fear of maybe making them worse? It almost can be easier to make guys worse than, than make them better when, when coaches uh, get involved in something that they had worked on with a previous coach or, or whatever that may be. Yeah, that's 100% accurate. You know, the the lesser player you have, uh, there's lots of things you can tell them that'll make them better. Not that many things that'll make them worse. Uh, when you the better player you have, that goes in the reverse. If you bring in a Matthew Wolf or a Victor Hovland or Ricky Fowler, someone like that, um, it's certainly reverse. Much easier to mess them up than than to help them. So uh, we're patient, guarded. Uh, you know, you have to earn a player's trust. We recruit technique that we like, um, players that we like, and you try to start off with the low-hanging fruit. It may be uh, something that's going to for sure make them play better, how they practice, uh, improvements in some area that you know are going to lead to a better score. And, and um, again, we try to get to know them and their games and earn their trust. And then I better be right the first time I make a suggestion, or if it's me, you know, I, I, I may not trust you the next time to, to come back. So I say we're patient guarded and certainly take a very long-term view of their improvement. And I think we have a long track record of not messing people up. And uh, again, people tend to think that all these players come in as polished as they can be, which which is not not the case. Uh, some kids are, but it's very rare that you find someone that's you know ready to go dominate college golf or professional golf when they arrive. Uh, and that's part of the recruiting process as well is finding guys that want to be coached, want to be great, um, and will be confident enough to be vulnerable, to be honest with what they're thinking, feeling, and again to be coached. And our players that have gone on to um, the most success have loved golf, 
wanted to be great and were again confident enough to be coached. That's great. Yes, I've heard I've heard I'm sure it's it's definitely different with you as you have produced so many uh say produced uh so many successful highly successful players. Um I've heard lots of stories and I mean a lot of kids, a lot of golfers might just want someone to blame, but definitely I've heard some stories about kids thinking that a, a college coach had one too many suggestions or wanted to change something, but it's definitely different in your situation as you have, um, you've got all the credibility and it, you know, you, you bring up names like Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, Ricky Fowler, these guys. And as we've mentioned before, these years uh, at Oklahoma state better prepared them and equipped them for success on the PGA tour. Um, is there, you know, when you, when you mention these big names and, um, household names, you could even call them a lot of these former Cowboys. Is there a common thread amongst these guys that you're able to pick out? Obviously you've got many talented players. I'm sure most, if not all dream of pursuing professional golf. Is there something amongst these guys that you, that you notice that makes them special? Well, I think kind of what I said, they, they've loved golf. Uh, first of all, if you want to play it for a living, you, you need to love it. It's a lonely sport. It, it, you know, it's, it's very difficult. You have to reprove yourself all the time. So um, th they've loved it. They've, and again, they've been confident enough to, um, to be coached. And I think Victor's a wonderful example of that. Um, you know, he worked really hard. He, he came in when I first started to recruit him he was probably the fourth best kid on the Norwegian national team. But I thought I saw something special, a very good ball hitter, repeated very well. Uh, I just liked everything that I saw. And I loved the way he competed. He looked like he loved the game. And so many junior golfers, when you watch them, or golfers in general, golf makes you pretty miserable a lot of times. You know, you get good enough that then you're not happy unless you're playing great. And, and, so many kids, their example around them is other kids that are, like you said, getting upset, hot heads, and they think that's how you're supposed to, to, to do. Certain people think that shows you have a passion or something like that. And uh, a, a, usually an emotional reaction like that is more of a, a fear reaction or a hint of where you are with your confidence. If you hit a bad shot and you get upset, you're afraid, you're upset because you're afraid you might do it again. You felt that and you might do it again, especially the closer that reaction is to the shot. And watching Victor, he thrived on the competition. Uh, success or not, he looked like he loved what he was doing. And Ricky was very much that way. It was a joy to watch Ricky play golf and always has been. He hits shots, shapes the ball all around. Ricky was a guy that could hit three different clubs from any spot. And both of those guys still wanted to be coached you know, would come and ask, how can I improve? And, and another hint of Victor's confidence is if you, if you listen to him talk after tournaments, when he won his first tournament in Puerto Rico on the PJ tour, he hit a couple of bad chips. And I mean, you don't hear very many pros in there as they're accepting the trophy, basically say, I suck at chipping. Well, he wasn't afraid to be vulnerable like that. And he wasn't afraid to try things. His first European tour event he ever played. He played pausing at the top with a driver. He would go back. It was a drill that he had done some, 
and he was hitting it well, you know, go up, pause, and then hit the ball from the top. That was a drill. But in his very first European tour event as an amateur, he played that way with the driver. I mean, nobody does that. And he shot in the city, bogey free, maybe 68, the first round. Then I think the second round he shot 80 or something like that and missed the cut. But, but again, not afraid to try things, not afraid to fail. And that's a big predictor of future success. If someone can be that confident. Absolutely. I would, I would completely uh, see that, see that the same way in that doing say that, uh, that hitch, that drill, like you mentioned, it's just having complete confidence in the process and what's working and that knowing he's going to be able to pull it off. So very impressive. Continuing, uh, we're talking about Victor Hovland. He's current world number four. Um, I know that you actually famously winning the U.S. Amateur and then uh, going on to play in the Masters and in the U.S. Open as an amateur and being the low amateur there. I know you were on the bag for all three of these events. I mean, what was it like to be able to to stand side by side with Victor and and uh, achieve these achieve these special moments? Yeah, that was a dream come true. Um, I mean, it really was to have a summer. If, if you go back to 2018, uh, our team won the national championship that summer, and to be standing there with your players when they achieve something that they dream of is, is what ultimately, I mean, you'd love to have as a coach. So that was a dream come true. And then a couple months later um, for, I was humbled for Victor to have had the confidence in me to ask me to caddy for him at the USAM. And then a few, a few days later uh, to be standing there again, to be by his side when he uh, achieves a, a, a goal like that to win the U S amateur and then follow that up to, to uh, get to have a front row seat at the Masters as he's uh, low amateur, get to be there when Tiger's putting on the green jacket in a historic 2019 Masters. We were the first guys to get to shake his hand when he walked out of the Butler cabin. And then to cap off Victor's amateur career, he asked me to caddy for him there at that U.S. Open, where I think he missed earning a spot into the next year's U.S. Open by a shot. I believe he finished 12th, but was the low amateur. And uh, that was an extra cool experience for me. The, the fact that it was at Pebble Beach, which is probably my favorite place in the world, Carmel, California. It's where he had won the U.S. Amateur. That's where he closed out his career to, again, be a part of the week in some small way. Uh, beside him was great. And I got to bring my family with me as well. Uh, my wife and three boys got to be there for uh, that U.S. Open and Tiger Woods was in the group right behind um, Victor and uh, you know I, I've known Tiger for a long time. He's always been really good to me and got to introduce my kids to him uh, while we were there on the 18th green for Victor to get his medal and Tiger finish up. All that made it a really special week to uh, kind of kick Victor into his um, professional career and dad's cool factor went, went way up when uh, <laughs> I got to introduce Tiger to my kids. Very special week. Wow. Wow. Um, I, you mentioned that, I know you have three boys. You, you mentioned that, uh, that your family was there for that experience. Like I said, being side by side with Victor during this moment and the multiple of these moments and, and these goals achieved as well as everything that you're doing with your other players and your current teams. 
I've got to ask, does the parent in you kind of come out a little bit, just being so proud of uh, um, watching these guys grow and, and watching them succeed? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's interesting. Now my kids are of the, about the same age as our team. So I think, I hope coaching over the years has helped me be a better parent. I don't know that it has or not, but it's interesting. Now I've got a 21 year old, a a 19 year old and 18 year old, and, and they're actually friends with the guys, guys on our team. So, uh, that's, that's been, uh, interesting and fun for me. You know, they've looked up to these guys for a long time as little kids, um, you know, as they've grown up with their dad being the coach and now they're peers with some of our players. So it's cool for them to, to share that friendship and, and experiences with them. My youngest son, Gunner came with us, uh, last week when, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, when we went to Augusta, uh, for that tournament and, and he got to, we get practice round tickets the day after. So he got to see Augusta national for the first time. So again, cool dad moments to get to share. I've spent plenty of time away from my kids and have lots of regrets about that. I've spent a lot more time with some of these other kids that we coach or recruit than my own, but uh, hopefully my kids will forgive me one day and I can obviously provide them some pretty cool experiences now and then uh, things like that. Absolutely. And back to, um, back to, Victor Hovland, he's currently chose when he turned professional, he chose to stay in Stillwater as opposed to going out to Jupiter or a lot of where the other guys um, are as um, as they're preparing and uh, for PGA Tour events and and whatnot. But I think that that's another just huge testament to the kind of culture that you're creating right there in Stillwater. How would you how would you describe that? Um, feeling as former player, world number four, choosing to stay right there beside you and your team and, and wanting to be involved. Yeah, that's ultimately what we would love for all of our players to do. Um, we own the golf course. Karsten Creek's a nice place. The golf team actually owns the golf course. We raised all the money. Uh, so we have a great place to play in practice. And um, we, we would love for all of our players to stay. Not all of them do. Uh, but Victor uh, recognized, you know, he said, hey, uh, enough things are changing in my life as I transition to professional golf. Uh, I like uh, I like the town. I like everything here. And I don't want to mess with the formula that's been successful. And uh, so he's stuck around and, and continues to be a big part of our program. He plays golf with our guys all the time. Um, you know, the day after the Masters, he was out practicing and playing. He flew in Sunday night and, you know, early Monday morning, he was out at the golf course already playing and practicing with our guys. And he's been a huge asset for us as we try to communicate with our team, the lessons that we were communicating to him just a couple of years ago. Uh, they listen to him better than they listen to us. I don't <laughs> think they think we know anything. And, and uh, but he can back up those messages and some of the same doubts that maybe he had in whatever message we were sending, he can kind of smooth that over and say, you know what, these guys might know what they're, what they're talking about. And the other thing it does is our guys recognize that some of our guys on the team, we still have guys that were his teammates and what he's doing and Matt Wolf, uh, their youth having success on the tour really gives your current guys permission to think they can do the same. And Ricky Fowler and Morgan Hoffman and Peter Uline did that for a group prior to that, um, you know, Wyndham Clark and, and all the history of players that we've had have done the same. And, and 
you know, Victor's really embraced that role as a leader. And that's really empowering for your current players to recognize that dream that they have of success out there and being one of the best players in the world doesn't have to be far away. It's just right there. And they get a nice comparison of their sel- themselves um, to Victor every day. They can see what a guy that's in the top five in the world looks like every single day. Absolutely. Able to able to offer so much insight and connect with them there. I can't even imagine uh, the help that, that that provides for your current players um, and just footsteps to follow in. And like you said, the dream being physically so close, that's, that's really wonderful for, for your team and for Victor as well, being able to, to be a part of it. Still, you mentioned Karsten Creek. I know Karsten Creek was, was built while you were a player there one of, if not the nicest facilities um, in the nation, definitely a big part of recruiting, I'm sure. Um, what's it like to be able to have have Karsten Creek? How special is that? Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and like you said, I got to see it go from just trees to a golf course. Um, we were working on the course kind of the whole time I was in school, but got to play on it my last year. And um, every it's certainly unique. No one has anything like Karsten Creek, not that they've created. Mike Holder, it was his vision, went out and raised all the money. So, you know, we're debt-free, own the golf course, run the golf course. Every program has a perfectly adequate facility uh, to, to play and, and hone your game on. Uh, but no one's been able to execute that. And, and it's really a, uh, an example of how important golf is at Oklahoma state. And it's hard to quantify. I hope that when kids come in on recruiting visits, they see more than just a golf course, a nice golf course. You, you don't even have to have a nice golf course to be a great player. Um, it helps, but it's certainly not. I grew up playing on a dump of a golf course. I didn't even practice lag putting because the greens, the grass would change. If I hit a 30 footer, I might putt through three different kinds of grasses. So um, you can overcome anything. You can become a good player anywhere. But um, I hope it's an example that people see that you can do anything. You know, the American dream of, you know, if you dream it and you work hard and you believe in it, you can make something happen. And that's what happened at Karsten Creek. And it's a it's, you know, again, a statement of where golf ranks at Oklahoma State. It's important here. We care. We're going to continue to work and strive to provide all the resources for our players to achieve whatever their dreams uh, may be. And it's certainly convenient. We've got the run of the place. Our guys can go practice wherever they want. And, and um, you know, we, we have all the resources to take advantage of here if you want to be great, including a variety of weathers and winds and different conditions that are really a difference maker in a player's development to learn how to control the ball uh, in the wind and in different uh, weather, we play an outdoor game, and that's a real blessing to be in this part of the country. That's very well put, Coach. That's definitely a an unmatched resource that you've got, that you've got there. Um, going back to your specific coaching style, your specific coaching philosophies, I'm really interested to know. A lot of coaches do it differently from a competing standpoint. While you are competing with your team in a tournament, how involved do you like to get with your players on the course? I know some coaches like to watch, some coaches like to walk, 
my coaches in particular have kind of, um, they choose, uh, to stay with one player. They don't necessarily bounce back and forth. I know on our men's team, I think that they like to stay um, on par threes and, and help out with numbers on specific holes. So what what have you found to be uh, the most successful kind of strategy or, or tactic? Well, it varies a little bit from team to team and course to course. Um, as a general rule, if you want to be effective, um, you're going to be most effective if you stay with one player kind of the whole time because you've seen every shot, you know where the player's mind is rather than popping in and out from shot to shot. But we do that some. Um, so we, we've tried a little bit of everything. Um, my coach, Mike Holder, was a pioneer in that. He used to stand on the par threes. Prior to him coaching, coaches used to go and play golf. The, the rules didn't allow a coach to give advice, so they might just drop the team, go play golf, come back and, and pick them up. He started standing on the par threes. He kind of morphed into walking with, with one player. Because again, if you're standing on a par three, even though you've seen some other shots, you haven't seen your player and how they're feeling and how they're hitting it and, and all those things. So sometimes it's a detriment. To, you're this outside force that that is all of a sudden there when they've been clubbing themselves all day long. Yeah. Um, so we do a bit of everything. I prefer to walk with a player. Uh, and I really like what we've done. I like when you actually have all five players together, but that's rare that tournaments will pair you that way. I love that format for multiple reasons. One, I get to see every single player play, whether we give them advice or not. If you'd like to give advice, you can. So it makes it much more like a basketball coach. He doesn't have to choose to watch just the point guard or just the postman or, or to pop in and out and watch a few minutes here and there you know, in that format, you get to see everyone. And we've had two tournaments this spring that I really like. They didn't pair all five together, but they paired two guys together. So we played foursomes with two of our guys and two from another team. And then obviously we have two coaches. So you could go with those two groups and then you basically, you know, you get to see almost every shot from your team. I really have liked that. And so we just stay with that group all day long. So I'm charting how far they're hitting it and you can uh, you might have a situation where you feel like you can help if a player is getting ready to make a mistake or just teaching moments. You know, we don't force them to make certain plays because sometimes they prove you wrong. But uh, you learn a lot about a player if you're there every step of the way. So that's really my preference. But we've done a bit of both kind of depending on the golf course. There may not be as much strategy on certain holes where you might help, but, but again, it might be a couple of keyholes. Uh, like I mentioned in Hawaii, that was a course where we sort of popped in and out of a few key places we felt like we could help. But then I ended up picking up a guy and, and walking with them different days. So uh, we've tried a bit of everything, don't have all the answers, but, uh, but that's at least a hint of where we're coming from. Whatever we feel like is going to help our players develop over time and ultimately give us the best chance at success each week. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that from a player standpoint, I've experienced a lot of it all differently too. Uh, typically, um, like I have played around where I didn't see a coach the whole time and I've played a tournament where I had a coach with me just about every hole. I would say, you know, I agree that you're able to offer so much more insight and honestly, a lot better advice when you've seen, uh, what's happened on the prior X amount of holes. Right. But it definitely, I would agree that 
Um, I'm sure different factors play into it differently. And there isn't necessarily a right answer because depending on the course situation, uh, definitely it can vary. So coach, I want to go ahead and wrap things up here. We, what we do here at five clubs is we do five clubs, five questions. So uh, final five questions, just going to kind of rapid fire these off quickly for you. So first question, since you've been a coach, aside from your own team, was there ever a player that you saw at a tournament that comes to mind that you knew would be a star that would one day uh, achieve great success at the professional level? Um, I thought Brian Harmon was a stud. I wish we would have got him here. Uh, he's one of the best junior golfers that I've seen. Yeah, I wish he was had been a cowboy. Good one. Nice. Number two, what is, this is an important one, what is the go-to post-round meal that you take your team out for after a, a round of a tournament? Our guys love Chipotle. It seems like all kids love that. Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, that seems to be at the top of their list. <laughs> good ones. Those are good ones. We Those are go-tos for us too, definitely. Number three, who is the funniest guy who has played for you? Oh, gosh. Um, probably Jordan Niebergi, um, kid from Wisconsin. He actually finished sixth in the British Open while he was here. Uh, wouldn't be obvious to everyone, but he's really, really funny. We've got a phrase on our team that we use that he originated. It's get dumber. If you do something stupid, you know, that's what, what we use. And it's been around now since – Jordan's been there, but uh, yeah, get dumber. We use that a lot for coaches and players at Oklahoma State. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Number four. Now you can't be, everybody knows this. You can't be a good coach without showing some tough love at times. What would be a consequence for your boys if, or a form of discipline if a player were to skip class? We've got a stairmaster they call the gauntlet, you know, that's a, it's a series no. of stairs that just keep coming at you. And and uh, no matter who it is, you can crank that up enough uh, to get any player's attention. <laughs> that's a good one. Those are, the accountability workouts is what we've called them before. All right. Fifth and final question. What do you like to do when you're away from golf? I don't know if this uh, includes your family or any other hobbies that you have, but when you are away from golf, what, what is it that you like to do? Uh, hang with my family. I've been fortunate with uh, my wife and three boys, you know, anything we do together, they've all played sports. So I love watching them, uh, do the things that they love. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's about all I do is OSU golf or, or hang with my family. Beautiful answer. Well, coach, Thank you so much for joining me today. It's so interesting to hear a coach of your caliber at a program that's been so successful to hear you talk about what's contributed to that. And I know that uh, you've got the Big 12 championship coming up next week. So best of luck as your team prepares for that. Yeah, thanks. We leave Saturday. Our conference is really, really good. I think we have four of the top seven teams in the country. So we'll need to be ready. We get to play a spectacular golf course in Whispering Pines. And and um, thanks for having me on today. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you and good luck. Uh, you must have the Big Ten Championship coming up. So good yep. luck with you and your team. Yeah, we leave tomorrow for the Big Ten Championship and we're playing uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at uh, Fox Chapel in Pittsburgh. So Awesome. We'll go kick some butt.
We'll we'll do. We'll do. Thanks again, coach. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much, head coach Alan Bratton, for joining me on Five Clubs today. It is very obvious as to how he's been how he's been able to lead his team to so much success over the years. And we wish them the best of luck next week at the Big 12 Championship, as well as rolling into the postseason. So thank you again, coach. And thank you listeners for joining me today on Five Clubs. Five Clubs.